In brightest day, in blackest night, all other podcasts tremble in fright. Losers cower before the power. Oranges lust and blues you can trust. Indigos feel and white ones heal. Yellow scare and green ones dare. That sapphire love and black hands glove will rock your foundation without hesitation. Chad and Mars face evil's might. Respect their power for they'll make you see the light. Hi everybody, I'm Chad Bokelman. I'm Mark Marble. And this is the Lantern Cast. Episode 242. All right, we are talking about January books. Uh, this is Green Lantern number 48, Green Lantern Edge of Oblivion number 1, and Sinestro number 19. Uh, no preamble this time. We are just going right into it. We've only got three uh, books this month to cover, so we're going to keep it relatively short and sweet just to give us ourselves a break and, and revel in the fact there's only three titles to cover. <laughs> because I think next month, that's when that like Harley's Black Book thing comes out and everything, right? So we'll oh, be yeah, back up to four. Oh, yeah, I about that. Next month slash this month. And Telos. For, and next month, I think we have to do te- – we'll be doing Telos, I think, because I think next month yeah. is the first Parallax Telos tie-in. Yeah. Yep. So. Uh, so we'll have five titles in. So we're reveling in the fact that we've got three right now. So heads up. We don't know if this is going to be short and sweet based on our commentary and how much Mark and I, you know, bounce off of each other, but we're assuming it will be. So, uh, Mark's taking Green Lantern, I'm taking uh, Edge of Oblivion, and he's taking Sinestro. So, Mark, go ahead, take it away. Not much happens. The end. (laughs) (laughs) Not that short but sweet. Uh, So, Green Lantern 48 with, again, the interesting cover, though, again, you can't say it has nothing to do with what's in the book, but it's certainly not what the main focus of the book is about. Yeah, Hal, Hal duking it out with the robotic, what, Jim Gordon Batman? Uh, yes. Emerald uh, Nightfall. What happened to Batman? I actually don't know because I'm not reading any of that. I don't know he's why. He's alive. I know he's alive. Yes. I don't know if he just took an extended vacation. Because I was reading this for a couple of issues off and on just because I was curious. And Jim Gordon actually, the way they're doing Scott Snyder's writing it, it he's actually, it, it, it seems like something I'd be interested in. But I'm probably going to you know, wait for the trade type of thing on that because I just, yeah, there's no way. Was that before the Dark Side War when Batman's got the new god powers, or is that uh, as a result, or, or is that a byproduct of it? I don't, no, I don't know either. But uh, uh, no, Dark Dark Side War has nothing to do with what's happening in the Batman titles. I think the Justice League title is happening independent of whatever's happening in uh, uh, Batman. The same way there's a Justice League of America title. That has nothing to do with what's happening in Justice League or the individual characters' titles. Because you know the Justice League of America title that's um, supposedly dealing with Rao, the Kryptonian god? Yeah. Yeah, so uh, Justice League of America, Justice League, and Batman, all three of them have a Batman character in them. None of them are the same Batman across the titles. (laughs) Which, which, to, to be fair, is cool. Because that's what I've been saying, is we don't need the crossovers all along. Yes, it does make it confusing, but technically that's what I'm saying I, I want, is 
You just tell me a cool story within your title. I don't need them crossing over with each other. But I understand if someone gets upset because they there's no consistency there. But I personally, just on concept, like the idea that I can pick and choose my Batman. <laughs> I think there's – obviously we're going off on a brief tangent, but at least we didn't start going into the issue yet, so it works. Uh, I think that can work, and I think obviously if it was tied into almost like like Convergence-esque Fallout where you had different – you're different Batman, but there were reasons why there were different Batman or Superman because you're not telling the same story. You're not telling stories basically on the same in the same timeline or the same Earth. So I admit, I think it can work either way. I think though, in a way, it becomes it also partially becomes almost like a poster child for what people don't like about the New Fifty Two. How there is no big how there is no big plan and how it's been kind of like a mishmash from the very beginning and this and having all these books have, having all the in a way, you know, when you don't establish continuity, it kind of makes that there's no continuity. Some people can say that means that everything's everything's in continuity, even though they, we know that that's not the case, as we find out even in this issue between Hal and Sonar. But I think there has to be some kind of defined continuity, at least a, and I think potentially anyway, something like that. Not so much in Batman, you can get away with it with the main ca- with bigger characters, I think. Because there's always enough for someone. I mean, even like some of the things that they're doing in uh, with Superman and in the different books, that there's so many different takes and different uh, versions of what's going on with Superman. That it's almost like if this one doesn't appeal to you, this one will. Exactly. So I think that. So I think for the but the bigger characters that can work better because you have more of a. It's like a smorgasbord. It's like you that you have different Batman or different Superman to choose from, and if you really hate this one. You pick the one you like, and it also gives, but it still allows them to try something different with the character, and not have to worry about having a huge backlash. Because if worst comes to worst, just one book won't sell, or as well, and you have to, you know, change direction. And that's all I have to say about that. <laughs> so we begin Green Lantern 48, uh, picking up where we left off last issue with Hal Jordan's uh, nephew Howard, who was damaged in the collapse of the Ferris wheel. So we pick up at the Coast City Hospital, and basically we're seeing literally the fallout from the event where you have tons of people in the emergency room all comforting each other, waiting for news about their loved ones, uh, asking to see if you know there was any of their loved ones had been found and brought to the hospital. Hal, you know, sitting out there in a waiting room, which is kind of funny seeing him in his, you know, his Green Lantern slash gauntlet renegade costume just sitting there amongst everybody else. And, and almost nobody seems to notice that. Why is this guy sitting here looking like this? You know, oh, they a, don't. It's not that they don't notice. It's they just don't care. They got, yeah, they don't care. They yeah, that's what I just mean. It's just, it's just a, it's just one of those because it just shows you, and it's probably true. It just shows you how, depending on what you know, what kind of event is going on around you, things that you're so willing to like, not even think twice about. And Hal's just sitting there, kind of like, he's he's really having a hard, lot of a lot of issues dealing with what's going on with Howard. You know, he's feeling re- very guilty, and he has this nice conversation with this, you know, with this woman who was. She's been married for about 53 years, she says, to her, mm-hmm. to her Albert, and they were, and she and her husband were going on a date. And of course, uh, you know, when the Ferris wheel, you know, toppled over and everything, uh, that basically led to him having a heart attack, and he's in the hospital too, and it's touch and go with him. And Hal's, you know, a lot of guilt there, a lot of, you know, not quite feeling sorry for himself, but he's kind of like on the border of that, and she kind of like gives him a little pep talk, you know, it's, you know. About in between all that, we see 
uh, breaking news come across on the TV screen, and, and we see Sonar basically saying, you know, that he need, that the United Nations basically needs to recognize Modora as a sovereign nation, or else more people are going to die. You, you know, you've seen what my bomb can do, even to America's so-called city without fear, and that gets Hal kind of like really, really pissed off. So the woman kind of tells him, you know, go get him, and you know, you tell him my Albert sent you. And now I like that look on Hal's face, very parallax, like with his eyes glowing and that sneer on his face, like I'll find him. So now we have, so now we have the tie into why you know the Jim Gordon robotic Batman is on the cover, because Hal goes to Gotham, kind of like ironically, uh, just like in our Hero Quest with with Kyle Sh- pumping the Green Lantern symbol into the sky, Hal does the same thing, and of course that gets you know that gets. Uh, to Jim Gordon Batman to show up saying, Hey, Gotham is my town, yada yada, you're out of your jurisdiction. <laughs> I like I like when Hal says to him, I was like, I'm looking for Batman, so who the hell are you supposed to be? <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, he, and I like and the answer is pretty good too. His sanctioned replacement. So we have a little we have a little back and forth between the Batman in quotes. Batman and, and Hal, and Hal pretty much is asking him for help about Sonar and who he is and what his deal is, and of course this kind of establishes again that at least in this version of the of the new Fifty Two, anyway, the Hal and Sonar do not have a history together. So it's not like what we might have thought, you know, originally the Hal was going to be getting one of his old rogues gallery back. At least right now, that's in this. At least as long as the new Fifty Two remains unchanged, that Sonar is a new villain for him. So Batman. Yeah, I, was, I, I looked up that, that up earlier. I was trying to see because I remember Sonar's son came into play during uh, Kyle. the Kyle's Kyle Rayner run. I just didn't remember Sonar's original name. Like yeah, I his, didn't either. I, I, so I had to look it up. And yes, this is the, evidently the original Sonar. Yes, the original Sonar who just doesn't have a relationship with Green Lantern on a personal level yet. Uh, we get a little bit of we get a little bit of background about how Son, you know how Sonar's weapons work. Which you know Chad pointed out uh, in the last episode about how it basically, the, much like his name, how they're all related to sound that they're be able to be triggered by uh, by sound by sound waves. Uh, so after Bat- after Batman gives Hal this little advice, he shows up in Condock. Kind of interesting going to Condock, uh, and we see a whole bunch of basically uh, Sonar's thugs. Taking target practice at night, and of course Hal shows up and creates energy construct assault rifles, pointing at all the troops, going, "You know, try taking aim at me." I kind of like that splash page, even though the mask is still kind of a little uneven. Yeah. But it's but the constructs are pretty cool. You know, so so Hal's pretty much you know he's taunting them, and all the soldiers of Mordor, you know, they pretty much in being prompted, they pretty much like put their hands behind their neck, and Hal's, first he's, first he's kind of like cocky, going, yeah, you, you guys know when you're beaten and everything else, and then we start, you know, Hal, you know, Hal's pointing, he's pointing his gun at, all those guns at them, he's trying to really scare them into talking, nobody, nobody does, and before you know it, we start seeing the sound waves, which is kind of funny, because we have to see the sound waves, because it's a comic book, but we, you know, we see... You know, we, as they proclaim, we fight for Sonar. We, we, you know, we die for our country, and words are meaningless without action. The uh, sound waves trigger little explosive devices that they have around their, around their collars. So everybody but the commanders' heads pretty much blow off in unison, 
and Hal's just completely stunned by this, and, he, and Hal's like, this, this. And the commander goes, no, you, you cannot stop us. There are too many who will give anything. Mother Medora requires. There is no greater honor. Free Medora! And then, and then his head freaking blows up. And Hal's, you know, first he's, again, he's stunned by this, and then he just kind of freaks out, which you kind of wonder if that's partially related to the gauntlet, too, because he appears to really lose control for a while. He, you know, he devastates their training camp and just lays waste to everything. And then we have a, not surprisingly, uh, pretty perfect homage to the beginning of Emerald Twilight, where Hal's sitting on his knees, kind of his arms wrapped around himself, almost if his arm was broken like in Emerald Twilight. That's kind of what it's like, one arm's around where his cast arm would be. You know, he thinks back to Howard. He's cradling his face. It's like, you know, Howard, you know, what do I do? Please don't die. Now we get our only little trip back to to Parallax and Space Sector Zero, right in the remains of Oa. And we have Parallax going, you know, destruction, the core, gone. This can't be, which is the one really good splash page. Really well-drawn Parallax. Again, his hair is a little off, but it's kind of close enough by Billy Tan. And this part, and, the, and when Hal starts using his power as Parallax, you know, when he goes, it won't be, that looks like Parallax, too. So Parallax begins to start putting Oa back together, proclaiming, you know, I am Parallax, you know, I have the power to destroy, you know, worlds and, and to create them. And then, you know, he kind of stops and he goes, you know, I've I annihilated the Green Lantern Corps in my, in my universe, consumed their power to make everything right, and I was too late. Now I come to this universe and see, you know, Oa is destroyed, Sinestro is roaming free, but, of course, the ultimate typo. Supposed to be Coast City, folks, but it says Coast City. But Coast City still survives. I sense it. It's not too late. I will save it. And Hal Jordan must die. Yes, that's a weird jumping off point. <laughs> Next issue, Inner Demons. And wait, and I forgot. Let me just go. But the creative team, which I've... Venditti, of course, is Robert is the writer. Martin Cocolo is the, was the artist for everything, again, but the uh, the Parallax pages, Billy Tan did those. Mark Irwin was the inker on the Billy Tan pages. Mar Martin Cocolo must have inked his own work again on the other pages. Tony Avina, the colorist. Dave Sharp, letterer. Billy Tan and Alex Sinclair did the covers. And Mike Allred did the adult coloring book variant cover. Andy Marino, assistant editor, and Eddie Berganza, once again, as our group editor. Sorry, Chad. If somebody can get me a PNG file of Parallax standing there on that double-page spread sort of thing, uh, with the ener energy included, please, that'd be awesome. And by PNG, I mean just the character with a transparent background, if anybody knows, if anybody knows what I mean there. Um yeah, that it's a good cool. picture. It's a... I, I have a I have a PNG library of various Green Lantern characters that I use for album art uh, and other things related to the Lantern cast. Whenever I'm putting together something uh, for us in terms of, like I said, album art or any other thing that could pop up, and and just sort of from now on, anytime I see some sort of cool splash that's able to be made a, a PNG file, uh, I just I'm just gonna go ahead and put out the request. For it, so a, a high res PNG file, transparent background of that parallax figure standing there. Uh, Lanterncast at gmail.com with the attachment if you got it. Otherwise, I like the issue. I didn't catch it until you said it. The whole homage to 
you know, Hal destitute and on his knees crying in a in a in a crater thing in an issue forty eight. Yeah, that was a, that was a, that was a nice touch. It was a very 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 nicely done, and obviously it. It would have it would have been something I think a lot a lot of people would have picked up on probably regardless of tying it into a parallax story but knowing the parallax literally is coming that it that's, that it was very nice touch very nicely conceived and executed. Um, as far as Sonar is concerned, I personally don't like the fact that he's a new villain to how I would prefer him having a history already. Yep. Um, but I guess the whole point of him being a new villain is so that we can get Batman in on things so Hal can get up to speed. Although technically, shouldn't Hal's advanced technology, even though it's old advanced technology, shouldn't it still be able to hack in and find out all the information he needs in the first place? So it's it's not like we absolutely needed... I mean, like, if if, it, if we had a choice between... Hal not knowing who Sonar is and he has to go get information from Jim Gordon Batman or Hal having a history with him and hacking in to get information, I'd prefer the latter as opposed to the former. But, I mean, I guess it was okay if if we're going to go the route of him being a new villain. Now, to be fair, if I'm just sort of being glass half full, I'm just happy to have a classic villain whether they're quote unquote new or not to Hal being back in play. And that's not related to some larger hijinks like Sinestro was made a, you know, yellow lantern carrot, car- uh, star sapphire was made, uh, 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 a lantern and black hand was made, you know, the blackest night thing. So a lot of Hal's classic villains from the silver age have been mined for other stuff. Well, I'm glad to have a classic villain that's not a part of all of that. Um, so that's that's glass half full. <laughs> but I'd still have preferred him still having a history with with Sonar. I I would prefer that that they, even if they modified it slightly as in how much of a background. I I agree. I <clears throat> I don't think I think I don't know if it, they're, they're, it's best served to have him be a new villain, uh, especially ironically again, maybe more so because we're getting. Apparently, we're coming to the end of some. Maybe we're coming to the end of the new status quo. Anyway, depending on what shakes out after rebirth, uh, that it may not may really may not make a whole lot of sense to even go through the effort of trying to recreate a an old villain or put him, you know, wipe the the slate clean to start over again when you're just about to maybe change the status quo again anyway. But again, we don't know how far. Obviously, some of these issues, a lot of these issues were probably planned in advance of that before people knew what was coming down the pike. So I guess that can be, you know, we can understand that since these issues were planned for a while. But I agree. I um, I don't know. I, you know, and I think, and you kind of, I think, kind of alluded to it. I think the main stuff with Batman and I think the whole part of maybe why they did that was just because it seemed to be a nice excuse to uh, bring Bat- a Batman into the book. Maybe. Even okay. though it's not classic Batman, but to bring a Batman into the book so then you can give a cute little cover like the one we got. <laughs> um, other than that, I really don't have anything else to say. It's sort of all right there. There's not a whole lot of new stuff in there, uh, especially if you already know about the history of Sonar and Medora. Uh, they haven't really changed anything. They just sort of updated it to be a modern terrorist organization. 
I mean, the end goals of recognizing Midorah as its own free country or whatever are still the same. So I, there's not a whole lot new there, uh, except I guess the technology and how it works. But I mean, still, it's you know the old sonar had a gun and it worked on sound waves, and these are bombs that work on sound waves. So it's not it's not there's not a whole lot of difference there. No, th- there isn't. I I think this is I think this uh, was a little bit of a letdown. I think I don't think. I don't want to say it's filler because it does kind of move it along a little bit. You kind of get a little more background on on Sonar, exactly why he's doing what he's doing and what you know how he does what he does. But in but it does seem like filler on one level because at the end of the day, especially we we're we're only going to have like one issue really max of Hal and Sonar going at it, and, and who knows how much of that issue is really going to be them going at it unless it happens immediately to begin this issue forty nine. Because we know Parallax shows up at the end of 49, and that's got it, and that's what issue 50 is going to be about. So it seems like it's a lot of setup for not a whole lot of payoff. Yeah. We just we just you know keeping our fingers crossed. We just hope that the, the Parallax storyline itself isn't going to be again just the same kind of thing. Where there's even though I guess that that would be worse in a way because if it turns out to be not much payoff because we're not getting a whole lot of setup either, <laughs> we're only getting like maybe like five pages. Of, Five six pages of setup in in two issues for the heading at least until forty nine. But we we know that's going to be the focal point of issue fifty, and we're hoping a full you know a double sized issue is is going to be enough, maybe enough of a payoff, or even if even if the arc has to be has to be that small. But yeah, I, I was a little I, I was a little disappointed as I as I uh, kind of hinted at when we did the December books, looking ahead towards this book since. since that book had already come out, I think, at that point. That the fact that I thought I was hoping we were going to get a little more of Parallax or get him a little more, get a little more of him in general and what's going on in his head. I guess taking him to OI is, is a natural. I guess it makes sense, all things being equal. Uh, but kind of would have been more cool if he had put OI back together again before he stopped. <laughs> That's what I was kind of hoping he was going to do, but. But at least Billy Tan did a pretty good job. At least, at least the first uh, double splash page with, with Parallax looks pretty cool. I don't, I, a little less effective on that solo page. The end, the end, the issue. But should, I'm looking forward to the end of 49 and the arrival of Parallax, and hopefully issue 50 will be pretty good. That's that's pretty much what I'm looking forward to now. So. <laughs> uh, all least, right. Anything else? No, I think I'm good. All right, Green Lantern, Edge of Oblivion, Part 1. Writer, Tom Taylor, art, Ethan Van Skyver. Colors by Jason Wright, letters by Dave Sharp, cover by Van Skyver and Jason Wright. The variant cover by Yvonne Hayes, Joe Prado, and Marcelo Maiolo. Assistant editor, Andrew Marino. Editor, Mike Cotton, and group editor, editor Eddie Berganza. Um... We open up on Mogo, um, kind of some exposition telling us we're still in the universe as from uh, our uh, Lost Army title. Uh, we open up with Badge cussing up a storm, to which Guy Gardner giggles, and uh, Badge says, what? And he says, I'm sorry, it's, you're, you're just, it's, it's hard to take a swearing squirrel seriously. <laughs> in that 
throws Badge into a rage, and he's, you see F squeak and squeak and squawk and squeak, squeak, squeak. And, uh, you know, Guide, do you even speak, Squirrel? Squeaky, uh, squeak, squeaker, squeaking. Ah, uh, squeakity squeak, squeaking. And then, uh, Simon says, uh, are you getting any of this, Aresia? And uh, she says, I think even the Universal Translator is having trouble with this level of foul mouth squirrel profanity, Vaz. <laughs> and he says, yeah, probably for the best. And that's when the Kilowog intervenes and says, stop antagonizing one another. And um, But Badge has a point. This is crap. They sort of create a, you know, kind of come up with a game plan. It's been six months, you know. We're still not a whole team. We, we, we're missing some people. And, and John's like, you're right, we got uh, first priority is to find each other. And he says, uh, he says, well, it's kind of useless. We can't search this whole universe. And that's when um, Graf Torin, who's been meditating this whole time, uh, chimes in and says, no, we don't need our rings. In the universe gone dark, we just need a light. Uh, and then he says, Mogo, and he's, Mogo says, I understand, I will shine. And then Mogo just lights up like an effing sun uh, transmitting the Green Lantern uh, hue across the universe with it looks like a pretty big ass Green Lantern symbol next to it too. Uh, across the universe, well, not across the universe because it looks still relatively close. So I would say probably about as far away from uh, Mogo as we are from our own sun, maybe a little further. Um, a group of Green Lanterns consisting of, among others, it looks like. Uh, what was uh, not Tomar? Tomar too. Yeah, that is, yeah, that's Tomar, right. yeah, Tomar. Tomar. Yeah, just Tomar not Tomar, right? That's yeah. Uh, we got Iolande. We've got Goran's son. We've got uh, oh, what's his name? Moro. Yes. Uh, we've got uh, this new recruit. Uh, what was her name? She was in love with what's his name? Oh, Feska. Yeah, this Feska, and we've got. Uh, <sighs> The lizard guy from uh, Thanagar. Yeah, I always forget him. Yeah, uh, they're all they all see the light and go flying towards it. Mogo says something approaches, and guys like, "Oh, that was fast." <laughs> no, something else, and they see it's a massive, looks like a massive asteroid heading towards them on a collision course at lightning speed. They all fly up to the atmosphere and put a big shield on. It slows down. Don't drop the shield. It stops, but their shield begins cracking, and boom! Big-ass dude cracks through the uh, the shield, punching through it, and uh, um, he's, which we'll get back to this, he's basically the size of Relic in terms of Relic size in our universe. Um they fight him, and he's getting the better of uh, some lanterns like Kilowog, and then another uh, uh, person of his size comes down, tells him to stop. These are not our enemies. They explain themselves and that the asteroid isn't really an asteroid. It's a planet. Uh, it's home to the last great city. Within the city dwell the last survivors of a thousand dead worlds. Um, you know, our goals seem to be the same. Let's come together. Salix says we need to discuss this first. Give us a moment. They all debate back and forth, but eventually Kilowog says, I'm the last. I've outlived my people. I know what that means, what that feels like. If I find an escape, these people come with me. And if I hear one more logical argument from you on this Salix, I'll reach in and tear the logic right out of your giant, unfeeling head. <laughs> so Guy says, well, let's go tell everybody good news. They tell him. They say, great, we'll introduce you. They introduce their new champions, the Green Lantern Corps, 
And John spills the beans, says we are protectors from another time and another universe, from the universe that comes into being after this one. We believe if we can be transported to your universe, then there must be a way to return. We intend to take you with, with us. Then some cloaked figures on the ground say this could be, be an issue. They seem formidable, and the leader says, I faced the, the formidable before. I remain. Um, uh, some Green Lanterns go on patrol, one of which is Muck Muck. And Muck Muck, <laughs> Muck, Muck see, hears a scream, goes down to investigate, and then gets pulled down as he calls for help. Uh, and he's, he's being strangled, and as he calls for help, his hand gets cut off, uh, and then he's dead. Uh, he floats down to the ground. Uh, he, as he's pulled towards the ground, his ring is uh, searching for a uh, replacement sentient. It can't, so it just goes back to the central power battery uh, on Mogo. And then we see Muck Muck's dead, uh, huskified corpse on the ground. And this is next terror. Muck Muck's, oh. Muck Muck's another one that's really gotten a raw deal. <laughs> what? What? Muck Muck. He looked like he looked like an alien. He looked like uh, in the first phase after the chest burster when they're tiny and they rip out of you. They're actually more like the chest burster, I should say, not like the face hugger. The chest more like that's what it kind of looks like with the tail and the little arms. Now we can discuss the size of these creatures. But I don't think it really matters because Relic wasn't their size when, right. and, and, and they're already in this universe. So I don't think that's, I think that's a mislead. I will say, other than the light coming from their armor and crackling out of their eyes, there's another artistic hint to what these guys are and what their powers might be. The symbols? No. Ethan Van Skyver has said, uh, especially, I think it was in an interview in a DC Comics uh, uh, documentary, that one of the things he did artistically to the Green Lantern when he came on to Rebirth was that he made the uh, blacks in their suit solid black. Because, as he put it, these are not cloth suits. Cloth suits reflect light. These are suits made of energy. So the black would just be solid black devoid of light. If you notice, the black on these individual suits is solid black, meaning their suits comprised of energy, for the most part. Not every piece of black on their thing is is uh, is is solid black. And to be fair, I think Ethan sort of upgraded his uh, his uh, idea on the black because while it is still there and very noticeable, there are things like, for instance, uh, Guy Gardner's little turtleneck wrinkles yes. have have little reflections in them but by and large ethan's uh coloring style on that still remains uh so i think you can sort of forgive the the reflections in the black on their these individuals particular costume but these are solid blacks so between the costume and between the symbol like you mentioned between the energy crackling out of their eyes and between the solid blacks these must be lanterns from another universe and given the color what if it's the paling? This universe is equivalent equivalent of paling, and I'm just going based on color. No, I know. They, 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 there's absolutely no doubt by look. There's there's something lantern esque about their about their designs. Uh, it's their mouths. The way it becomes all black is really freaky. That yeah. part's pretty cool. And and the reason why I mentioned the symbol is because while her symbol is a little less clear, his symbol is is definitely a variation on the Omega symbol. Yeah. Her symbol could be a variation on the Alpha because you could make a case for it. It's just not as clear-cut. 
but his symbol is pretty much other than that little that line going through it in in certain in in the middle of it. It definitely looks like the the omega symbol. So I, that's what I, that's what I picked up on too. But yeah, I like it's a cool look though, and I and, I, and I, even though again overall they don't really. I guess the big negative in this issue is that we don't, and now we know why because I think we talked about it in the last uh, the last episode when we did when we did this one of the last episodes anyway that uh, that this issue doesn't really have any other than them being lost it really doesn't tie into any of the plot points that we saw Lost Army end on particularly Mogo's uh, command of various colors. Or, or yes, and, or any of the lanterns with other colors, right? Because we don't see any lanterns multicolored in this issue. They're, right. all, they're all green. So we have that. So we have that. Obviously, nothing with Relic and Krona. Uh, so, but now we understand because, in all honesty, this this was, this miniseries was, was already being worked on before I, I think Colin Bunn even knew that Edge of Oblivion was, was being canceled. Yeah, fa- uh, uh, Ethan Van Skyver famously needs a little more time than your average artist to get things done. Um, I'm not okay. I'm not saying that's current, but to my knowledge, that was the reason. Uh, no, Ethan's been late before. I don't know if he's sort of perfected his style over the time, and maybe he's gotten better at that. But to my knowledge, in the past, Ethan has had scheduling issues in terms of getting stuff in on time. I do know that as far as Flash Rebirth is concerned, it was sort of a combo between Ethan, but it turned out eventually that it was more Jeff was the reason that was late. Right, and I don't necessarily know if this – if this seems to be more of where supposedly DC was shifting direction and they didn't bother to let Cullen Bunn know <laughs> what they were doing. Uh and supposedly there was just a conversation between the two of them. That is when Cullen Bunn found out that Van Skyver was working on, you know, basically the fo- what was going to be the follow-up to Lost Army. Now we assume at some point in the six-issue arc that there's going to be some tie-ins here. We hope. I mean, it'd be kind of be really crappy if you know the whole, or at least if the whole relic and Krona thing like, get left completely hanging. That we don't that. I would find that hard to believe uh, that's going to happen, but that's probably the only real criticism in this issue is that it does not really pick up on too many threads or any threads other than them being lost. But the artwork was beautiful, as, as you would expect. Uh, it does set up a lot of – makes you wonder what's going to happen next, especially with the setup at the end of how – you know how the, 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 basically the, the people in the city that Green, the Green Lanterns are supposed to protect pretty much uh, – at least – at least there's some people in those cities that are not too happy with them being there. And then poor Muck Muck. Yeah. Uh, if anybody can give me a PNG file of Kilowog smashing this dude in the jaw right here on the stage <laughs> where you see the, the sh- yeah. uh, symbol. Um, if you want, you can keep uh, – I, I know I'm being super specific, but I figure since I'm asking people to do stuff for me for free anyways, why not be specific? Uh, keep the energy around Kilowog and his little green lantern symbol. I don't need all the little circle little things. Uh, or the his actual, I guess, the handle coming off of his uh, hammer there. Because um, I, don't, I, don't I, I don't think I have any Kilowog PNG files in my library. So this isn't my favorite image of Kilowog by Ethan Van Skyver. Uh, and it's certainly not the biggest, but it's serviceable <laughs> when you don't have any. So there's that. Um, did you see the variant cover for this? 
I probably did at one point, but I don't, I don't have it. Which cover was the variant for this one? It was the Yvonne Hayes variant cover. Um, see, the, the regular cover, obviously by Ethan Van Skyver, has them all on the right hand uh, of the page pointing to the left with her fists out uh, with the white background. The other cover by Yvonne Hayes is... John Stewart, Guy Gardner, 2-6, Aresia, Goran Sun, Kilowog, Simon Baz, Salak, and some frog lantern with Mogo behind them. And it's, I don't know. I think I have seen that before. Cause it's, okay. I think I have seen that before. I prefer that. I wish there was a different colorist on there. Because um, I remember when uh, Yvonne Haste was on uh, Aquaman. It was Reese... Uh, Yvonne, Yvonne Hayes, Joe Prado, and then another Reese on on coloring. I don't remember the the colorist name, but that colorist that 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 three headed Ghidra worked perfectly on Aquaman. The 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 I love Yvonne Hayes. His pencils were point on. Joe Prado knows how to ink uh, Yvonne Hayes, and the the colors were just effing amazing. If that colorist would have stuck with it, the team for this cover, I would have gone out and bought the the deliberately sought out the variant cover for this because the only thing I don't like, and I don't know if you can if you if you Google the image since I've been talking, but if uh, the only thing I would have preferred is there's a lot of uh, red on here because I guess there's a sun behind Mogo. I would have preferred if they made that green. And just pretended like it was energy coming off of Mogo, because I think the red makes it look different. And I would have been cool with a sort of almost complete green wash of that of that reddish hue. But it looks it looks great. I mean, I've I've said before I've sort of outgrown uh, Ethan Van Skyver, and I don't mean that I no longer like his art. It's just I used to think I. I Ethan Van Skyver used to be my number one, but that was really early when I started getting into comics because, like I said a billion times before, you know, the first modern telling of Green Lantern that I've read was Rebirth, uh, and I picked it up because I was like, wait, this isn't what I'm what I think of when I think of comic book art, and you know, it was a new story and it was Green Lantern, and that's what sort of got me to you know walk out of Borders with that trade paperback, but. Um, and, you know, from there I started with the Final Crisis, Rage of the Red Lanterns, one, spe- one shot special. But obviously it's been, you know, seven years since I first picked up that book. And my tastes have changed. So Ethan Van Skyver's got a sort of – he's got a great style. There's no question about that. But it's sort of, to my tastes, overly detailed, whereas Reese is still realistic and, but more simple. That makes any sense. No, I think it does. Uh, and, and again, reiterating, I'm not putting down Van Skyver. I enjoy his artwork. He's a great artist. It's just he's no longer my number one. My tastes have slight, slightly evolved. Hashtag Chad hates Ethan. No, I'm yeah. kidding. Yeah. <laughs> it's not true, Ethan. If you're listening. I like them both. I I actually really. And I, I think I mentioned this. I think I've really appreciated the fact that Ethan has come back and drawn a lot of Green Lantern stuff over the last six months. Oh, for sure. So I think, and I maybe because it harkens back to you know, 
ironically, it harkens back to rebirth, so maybe a, but especially like when he's drawing, even in this book, I like to you know seeing his version of guy that that brings back memories. Even the Kilowog thing, I kind of like even on the cover when you see like the energy, like the green energy steam like coming out of his nostrils. That reminds yeah. me of Rebirth when he was squaring off against Kyle. Yeah, when he first lands and breathes real heavy. Yeah, when you when you're not 100 percent sure what's going on until you realize he's being controlled by Parallax and why you know he's basically being confronting Kyle. Uh, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I, I'm really, I really like this issue. I like this issue. I, I liked it a little bit more than I thought it was going to, just because, I think because of where, partially because of where Lost Army left off, and it's also because it just seems so weird to switch, you know, to switch gears to where they did, mm. and they literally did because now we, we, you know, you read this issue and there's so there's like almost nothing in common, other than them being lost. But it's good. I think it was. I think it was. It was a good start. I kind of honestly like the fact that John Stewart took a background in this issue. Yeah. I I know John Stewart fans aren't going to be happy about that, but I think as a story as a story, I think it works better because it focused on focused on a whole bunch of lanterns. Uh, it's it's really easy to say maybe it'd be really easy to say certainly based on the Earth lanterns, the the guy kind of was more the dominant force in this issue than John, but that's. But as far as when you put all the lanterns together, they are pretty much, there's a whole, there's a bunch of lanterns that have moments in, in here, you know, whether it's, whether it's Kilowog, whether it's, you know, even Simon Baz, obviously Badge, uh, there's, there's a lot of stuff going on in here. So I think, so I think it works as a, as a, as a team book. I think this worked much better than, than, uh, Lost Army, which basically turned out to mostly be a kind of bickering, Understandably so, based on their circumstance, but turned out to be more like a bickering contest a lot of times between Guy and uh, John, and everybody else kind of falling in line behind, and more or less following orders regardless of which side of the aisle they would you know ally themselves with if they had a choice. I, like I said, the only real criticism, and I hope this is only a short-term criticism, is that it doesn't really tie into. The question, a lot of the questions that are left were left unanswered at the end of Lost Army, so I certainly hope we get the answers to those, and they just don't fall by the wayside. That we don't know why they're there, we don't know who sent them there, we don't know why, you know, what what's the deal with Relic? We don't know what Crona knows, what he doesn't know, how he knows, and how all that, and how if you know Crona even being there, how that factors in at all to the collapse of uh and the destruction of Relic's universe. But we have five more issues, and I think this was a very good start. So for sure. All right. Anything else about this? No, two for two. All right. Sinestro number nineteen. Go ahead and take it. And before you even get started on this, so I won't take it. <laughs> no, no, no. On, on the cover, you've got Deathstroke, Harley, Wonder Woman, Superman, and Sinestro. Who is that? Between oh. Sinestro and Harley and Wonder Woman. Yeah. Who is that? That is not. That is not Scarecrow. Is that Red Hood? It looks like Red Hood, but Red Hood's nowhere in the issue, nor was he in the previous one. No, I know. It's a cover, so, so it doesn't mean that it's not. <laughs> well, yeah, but still. If, if I mean, it's like... It could, well, it, it, it could be Deadpool, too, but that's, that would be, yeah. be even less appropriate. The only thing that makes sense is, is Red Hood, but he's nowhere to be found. And at first, 
because I, I, for whatever reason, blank, I didn't even look at the left side of the cover. I thought, like, oh, that's a weird pose to put Deathstroke in, you know, because he's got the mask that's two different colors. Why have him face only one way so you can only see one side of the hood? And I was like, oh, never mind. Deathstroke's right there. I'm an idiot. Uh, but, I mean, that looks kind of like a bat symbol that looks like a red hood. I mean, like, I don't – got to want – because – Spoilers, there's more recruits in this later on in this issue, and, and visibly, Red Hood's not one of them. No, he's not. So I don't understand why Red Hood. The only thing I can think of is that Red Hood was planned, and they're like, no, you can't use him, but the cover was already made, so F it. Yeah, it's not supposed to be Deadshot, because the color scheme would be off. Exactly. I don't know. But yeah, it's funny, because as soon as you started talking about it, then I knew where you were going to go, because it does it does stand out like a, like a sore thumb off the top of your head. That That's not... Just, just like if you didn't know what was going, if you didn't know what was going on in the New Fifty Two, you would almost think that to the left of Sinestro would be uh, Connor Superboy. Yeah, Superboy. That, yeah. that was actually was my first. That's my first natural inclination until I, you actually, I think you you pointed out, I think you pointed out when we talked about it before that it was that it that it it actually was Superman, and then you get to the end of the book and you realize, oh yeah, it's Superman getting the ring and not. But based on just based on design, you naturally see that shirt or whatever, and you and you think of the not not original Connor Superboy, you know, that with the leather jacket and the glasses, but the, the postmodern, if you will, the the more the more the more grown up version of that Superboy. That when he was, that's what I think of when I see that shirt. So, yeah. For the record, I bought the variant cover of this one. Which one's the variant? The coloring book. Oh yes, that's right. That that's. See, I didn't see any of the coloring. I saw when they first put them out. I saw them, but but none of the variants got pulled for me this month, and which was okay because I got my Marvin the Martian cover for the for Green Lantern, but forty six <laughs> or whatever it was. So that's that's the one that mattered the most. <laughs> well, of the two Lantern coloring book titles, I think the Green Lantern one was way too thin lined, way too detailed. Um, not that I couldn't color it. It's just that you know. It, once I got done, I'd feel like, eh, I could, you know, it, it could have been better. I feel like this is, there's still a lot of details on it, but it's, it's, I think it's more manageable. You know, on, on the other one, Green Lantern is maybe one fifth of the page, whereas Sinestro here is obviously a very large figure front and center. How so appropriate. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> His ego wouldn't let him be smaller than that on the cover. <laughs> but I've I've interrupted you enough. Go no, it's ahead. Okay, we need back and forth on this. There's nothing wrong with that. Uh, so, so Sinestro 19 writer Cullen Bond, Brad Walker and Neil Edwards doing the pencils, Drew Hennessy and Jonathan Glapion doing the inks, blonde color, Dave Sharp letters, Walker Hennessy and Jason Wright did the cover, and the adult coloring book variant cover was by Derek Donovan. Andrew Marino, assistant editor, Mike Cotton, editor, and la- last, and of course not least, group editor, I know, a surprise, Eddie Braganza. So this is picking up where we left off during the, basically, the, the Sinestro Corps second war on Earth here, fighting, fighting the paling, trying to save the Earth. And it's, this is one of the best things about this book, and one of the things that when this book does eventually go, and eventually and inevitably, when it goes away, I'm going to kind of miss, even though Sinestro may go away too for a while. But <laughs> eventually he'll be back. And what I'm going to miss is the fact that this book, if nothing else, gives you the insight into, into what Sinestro's thinking that you almost never get. 
and it's kind of good. It because because you ha- the whole the book begins when Sinestro is just kind of like hovering out, and he's observing everything that's going on between you know rank slash war world and and the, and the pale vickers and what's going down on Earth. He's kind of like observing all the stuff in the typical Sinestro pose with his arms you know crossed in front of his chest, just, just looking at everything, and he's reflecting and he's going, you know, all, all these. All the criticism that I've ever had, you know, I've always disparaged about, you know, had and focused on the Green Lanterns. I disparaged them because they kind of like, they couldn't really maintain order. They brought chaos or more chaos to a situation no matter what they did. And pretty much he's looking at what's going on now and goes, well, I've kind of done the same exact thing because I, I, I came to Earth trying to figure out basically and learn who my enemy is and learn more about them. And I brought the paling to Earth in the process. <laughs> and as he so eloquently puts... Such a misstep is worthy of Hal Jordan himself. <laughs> and he also acknowledges that it's kind of awakened a new fear inside him. You know, the fear that he is the failure that he basically, that I've always loathed. That, again, kind of referring to Hal, but subtly, like maybe Hal Jordan and other people have been right about me. But he quickly, but he quickly becomes Sinestro again uh, and points out, well, the difference is that while, you know, things like this in the past, you know, Green Lanterns would have collapsed under something like this and their, their mistakes. You know, my core, the Sinestro core, is basically going to take this bad situation and this is how they're going to you know, rise. You know, this is going to be how they're going to ascend to their rightful position. So we, so that leads to a nice double splash page and the issue is titled War. So we have Wonder Woman, S- Superman, uh, Arkillo, looks like... Uh, Kale, a whole bunch of different Sinestro Corps members duking it out with uh, the Pale Vickers on Earth. And I like the fact that, you know, Superman's, you know, leaping into action and, and he's he, basically he's realizing because the ring is communicating to him and he can, and that he, and he also can hear Sinestro through the ring that <laughs> he seems surprised by it, but Superman acknowledges right off the bat that, you know, Sinestro is here to help. He's actually here to save the Earth, Wonder Woman. Not that Wonder Woman cares all that much, but, you know, she at least, she just keeps doing her thing. Uh, the, the Sinestro Corps members kind of realize that even though they had that sudden surge when all the rings went out to find new bearers, that kind of gave them a, you know, a, a moment where they gain, regained the upper hand on the, on the paling, that that moment is gone now. And pretty much the, the emotion is, you know, their emotional countermeasures that the Pale Vickers use, that's kind of negating that, that surge in fear. And then Lissa points out some, something we've already seen kind of like last issue to a, to a lesser extent that pretty much don't rely on your rings and kind of like take, you know, take it to the streets, if you will, and and just be physical and, and just go to town on these guys and jump, and then they're, you know, they're vulnerable. They may not be as susceptible to your energy constructs and to your rings power, but you certainly can do damage and kill them physically otherwise. Then we have this, the panel that I kind of talked about in our last uh, issue review episode, which I just love, when, you know, a bunch of people, including a woman and her daughter, are about to get killed by, you know, by a pale vicar, and, and Arkillo jumps in there and saves the day, and it's like, it's all right, Mommy, see, we're safe. A superhero saved us. And Kilowog is like, what? I mean, excuse me, Arkillo's like, what the hell? Deep down, I think Arkillo wants to be a hero. Deep down, I think he does. So, so we we cut back to space where Mongol and and Black Adams are Black Adam are, are fighting, and actually Black Adam is having a, a lot harder time against Mongol than he had against most of the other 
uh, pale vicars or members of the paling. He kind of gets thrown off and, and gets like pounded and sent flying by by Mongol. You know, Sinestro, you know, Sinestro's kind of like uh, he, Mongol. You know, he was powerful before before he was turned into one of those pale vicars. Now he's going to be even more of a you know he's going to be even more of a problem. Next. Like Nax shows up with a bunch of other Sinestro Corps members, and she does her little, you know, psychic vivisection thing, which is pretty. You know, it would be a horrible thing to see in real life, but on a panel, it comes across really well. <laughs> just the way she kind of like rips their insides out and just takes them apart layer by layer, and just it's just pretty cool. Excuse me, as I swallow there. <laughs> uh, you know, so Sora, you know, Sora and Sinestro. You know, Sora's basically trying to figure out what's going on with Sinestro at this point because she's kind of like getting a little concerned that about Sinestro's strategy. You know, on Earth, you know, Wonder Woman and Superman and Scarecrow, Harley, Deathstroke. You know, they're, they're doing they're doing everything they can, but pretty much the lack of emotion is starting to change. You know, some of the you know some of the people around them now as the uh, Pale Vickers are, are start, starting to gain. Starting to gain the other hand, you know, the Inquisition comes for this world. There is no escape. So Soren pretty much now openly vents, you know, and says what she's been thinking all along, you know, which is, you know, I hope you have another trick up your sleeve because this isn't really working particularly well. You know, War World's defenses are helping out a little bit, you know, but they're not going to last. And Sinestro just goes in, and what would you suggest? How do we combat, you know, this foe? And so, you know, Sora's, Sora at that at that moment, you know, well, before Sora can really say much of a reply, you know, the Manhunters go le- go leaping into action to take on the Pale Vickers, and she's like, well, you know, if we tapped into the Yellow Rings, you know, the power of the Manhunters, you know, it could give us another shot in the arm, and he goes precisely, and then basically he be- tells the Manhunters to initiate another recruitment protocols, and they. And they send a whole bunch of other Sinestro Corps rings to Earth, and we see a whole bunch of other people get, you know, get rings. Uh, let's see. I'll probably need your help with some of these. But obviously, like Constantine's one. Yep. Uh, Black Manta. Yep. Uh, Etrigan the Demon. Yep. Uh, Dead Man is like it's like a ring like seems to be like floating near Dead Man, but I, but he probably isn't gonna be able to get it because he has no real shape. Yeah. Uh, and who are the other two? On the bottom right and left. I have guesses, but I don't know. Yeah, it's um, better than mine, I think, because I, I, they didn't ring a bell to me. The one on the one that looks like he's made of bark. I was thinking maybe the new Fifty Two Floronic Man. Actually, you know what? That would kind of make more sense now that because now that I actually know who he is from our episode with Ryan, that you could be correct on that. Uh, and the other one, I have no clue, but for whatever reason. My mind said the creeper. That's what I was just thinking. <laughs> okay. Yeah, maybe because of the hair. Yeah. Maybe it, maybe it is. It doesn't really look like you clap. And the way he's sort of leaping and everything. And I'm, and I'm trying to see if the co- yeah, me. I don't think see, the costume looks still a little off, but the color scheme throws everything off. It's hard to say, but let's just work on this. Let's work on the assumption that's what it is. And obviously, if anybody has a better idea, please, please let us know. It's a pretty cool splash page. Even though I'm sure some people are getting sick of the constant recruitment drives <laughs> and more people getting rings. Uh, so at that moment, Sora, you know, after that releasing of the ring, Sora points out, you know, they didn't like that. You know, the Paling Church vessels are activating some sort of energy field. You know, the anti-emotional energy was intensifying. You know, Becca is fighting, 
And she's observing this as Becca's fighting another uh, paling member. Uh, you know, Black Adam picking him, picking himself off the floor. The Sinestro Corps is in, you know, the members as a whole are in really are in serious trouble at this moment. You know, and Sora's like, you know, what, what, you know, we have to withdraw, we have to regroup, and Sinestro's like, you know, we can't do that. You know, there is, you know, if we do now, the, the Earth is lost. And she goes, yeah, but if we get wiped out, you know, you know, what, what hope does the planet have? And Sinestro goes, hope. What a fine, fine idea. You, <laughs> <laughs> you are needed. The Blue Lantern, you know, the embodiment of hope, he says, as St. Walker, looking a lot worse, a lot more worse for wear. His uniform's obviously been ripped because he's been tortured. He's got some blue blood pouring out of his nose, and it looks like some Sinestro Corps symbol and and or graft has been uh, attached to his ring hand. So Sinestro continues, you know, the, the embodiment of hope, once he has, his influence was tied directly to the green emotional spectrum, the power of will. But with his re-education, I have taught him to understand the true nature of fear, to understand that will exists, even in the presence of fear. Will, as great as any Green Lanterns, used to bend fear to one's own whim, to control fear rather than be controlled by it. And of course, as soon as St. Walker flies out, all the Sinestro Corps members' rings get powered up to 200%. That really does the trick for Black Adam, who really starts taking it to... Uh, Taking it to Mongol, which I kind of like at this point, but he's really beating the crap out of Mongol and looks like he's trying to like rip out his eyes practically. And Sora's like, "Okay, so maybe Black Adam's not quite as attractive as I first thought." At this moment, some of the Manhunters come back to Sinestro, saying, "You know, our quarry, the Pearl Bishop, has been located." And now we kind of get a little bit, which is I like this part a lot. This we get yep, a little more. Too. You did too, yeah. A little yeah, more, like, a little bit more. Finally. Yes, yes. <laughs> a little bit more method to Sinestro's madness and what he was having Lobo do to begin with. Because at this point, you know, they, they look, they locate, you know, they locate where the Pale Bishop is, you know, but Sora's like, you know, you know, you can't face him alone. How are we, you know, how are we going to get there? Yada, yada. And then all of a sudden, one of the Manhunters plates rolls back and we see inside his, his head is an indigo ring. So they pretty much, have taken the indigo ring from from probably monks actually the, the indigo ring that Sinestro got from Lobo they use that inside the man manhunter pretty much to teleport themselves and we see Sora and Sinestro teleport off to face the pale bishop the, which is we can see he's definitely a, a a completely healed guardian now in in pale bishop clothing and the rest of the pale vicars and Sinestro says, it'll bring us here to the Pale Bishop's doorstep for the final confrontation. Next, the final strike. I really like this issue. Um, I do too. I, I, it surprised me a little. Even with the St. Walker stuff, which still surprised <laughs> me, but I can't say I'm happy about it. Um, I really liked it, uh, mostly because I was like, oh, shit, why didn't we think of that? When that uh, Indigo Ring thing happened, because you know we were kind of speculating, like, Maybe he's going to take the other Lantern Corps off the field because he's trying to establish the Sinestro Corps as the dominant force and wants to take the other Corps off the field. But that's not what happened. If you go back and read those stories, it's specific attacks on the various Corps. There was never any attempt to eliminate them altogether. So that's that's cool. Maybe you could make that case maybe for the Red Lantern's part because he went after more than just one. But I don't, you know, I don't know. But it, once I saw it, I was like, oh, it, duh. It, 
Yeah. And it also, and now it also makes a little more sense why he never bothered to tell Lo, uh, Lobo about the teleportation powers. Yeah. Uh, be, even though, in a way that, in well, in a way that kind of negates it though, because he did, because Lobo ended up finding out about it firsthand because he saw Indigo One get out of there. If he hadn't seen Indigo One do it firsthand, if she just disappeared and he didn't know how, I think that might have been better. Only from the point of view that if he was trying to keep that information away from Lobo because he thought, well, maybe Lobo might want to hold, might want to, even not having it on his finger, but want to, maybe if he could figure out a way to keep it in stasis like Sinestro did, that might come in handy just because of the teleportation aspect. Yeah. That's the only reason you would think now in retrospect why he wouldn't have told Lobo about it. But I don't know. But I, but I think it is, it is probably, it probably is the reason why he kept him in, in the in the dark about it. And again, because maybe he, like you said, he didn't necessarily really want to wipe out all of them. He just needed to wipe out one of them because he needed the ring. Um, a lot of reveals in this issue, which I really enjoyed. For instance, you know, last issue was like, why the hell would Superman and Wonder Woman be chosen for the Fear Core? Because Sinestro, again, reiterates in here is that, you know, I didn't give these people anyway. If they got anything, if they got a ring, they earned it. Right. And he, you know, he realizes a new aspect of fear for himself. But you also get the reveal of, uh, I have recruited to my cause some of the most powerful Earths, of Earth Sentinels, those who bring fear without trying, as gods of war or, or as strange visitors from other worlds. So obviously, Superman and Wonder Woman themselves don't use fear, but they do inspire it in others in ways that are unintended. Yes, and the people, so, and, and the villains, and, and, the, and the criminals, and the, and the people who, the people who, basically, the people who are who are doing wrong, they 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 instill fear in them without trying. So that so yes, that makes that makes sense. Yeah, so that that made sense. I like the uh, now as much as I personally didn't like the reveal of Saint Walker because I you know. Uh, <laughs> You know, he, he's, you know, if, if, if ever there was a, cause you're, you've been arguing that St. Walker's been shit over this, this whole time. If there was ever more of, of a, a panel that represented that fully, it's St. Walker being brainwashed, bleeding and beaten with a graft on his arm, forcing him to act in, in ways against his, his, uh, his thinking. But they do make sense of it because if you remember, anytime Saint Walker is around a Green Lantern, those rings go up to like a thousand. It's crazy, but these rings only go up to two hundred percent, and it makes sense because not only is Saint Walker being forced to do this sort of, quote, ironically, against his will, um, but they also explain it that you know, fear. Th- these lanterns may be driven by fear, but they do have will behind what they're doing. Right. They're bending that will to their own to, to suit their, that fear to suit their own purposes, and that's will, um, which which makes sense because you know if you were to really think about the concept of emotions driving lanterns' power, there is no such thing as someone being driven by pure anything. There's always something else motivating it behind it. In most cases, will you know if you're pissed off enough will and ask you to take it out on something you know if you're greedy enough will enables you to get up off the couch and go get the thing you want you know and you can also maybe apply that to other emotions to go alongside of those other uh you know maybe fear motivates your anger or whatever it may be um so it makes sense that these aren't lanterns that are purely using one emotion and nothing else so I gl- I'm glad that they glommed onto that. Um, I'm, I'm, you know, like I said last issue, 
I would totally buy a uh, a Lysa figure. I'd totally buy a Yellow Lantern Black Adam figure. And now that I see these, like, uh, Constantine, nah, not really. Black Adam, uh, not uh, Black Adam, Black Manta, nah, don't really care. Never really cared about that character. Etrigan, Yellow Lantern, Dead Man, Yellow Lantern. Oh, hell yes. I'd be all over those figures. So you guys are really missing out by not giving me figures of these things. Um, and just for the record, if anybody uh, wants to make a PNG file... <laughs> Uh, that very first image of Sinestro, where he's just sort of standing there, floating above the fray, uh, with the energy around him, that'd be awesome to have as a PNG file. And since I'm pushing it by asking people for free stuff, so splash to do, page. yes, the, the splash page. But I'm being very, very picky about that one because if you notice, there's no way to get just Sinestro because there's a ring over one of his fingers and there's a ring sort of over one of his kind of over one of his arms. And then there's another ring that's on top of that ring, so you can't have that ring without having the other one. And then there's two <laughs> other there's there's two rings over down by his side. So there's all that, but there's also you know the the ring on his finger, and then there's the two rings next to that, and the one that's flying up and over his fingers. But one his word bubble that says more is overlapping over one of those rings, so I don't need the more word bubble, and I don't need that particular ring and its little energy trail. So basically, I need all the rings that are connected to Sinestro with Sinestro oh. <laughs> and not the word bubble of more. Now, I'm not saying that that whoever is uh, doing the PNG work, if anybody, uh, I'm going to be pissed off if you don't give me this one. But it would be nice to have maybe PNG files are easier to make than I think because some people are able to turn them around pretty quickly. Or maybe you guys are just ridiculously good with Photoshop and stuff, but... If there's a trick to it, I haven't figured it out. Because whenever I make my own PNG file, I get a super high-res version of the image, and I sit there in Photoshop or on Pixlr.com, open up the uh, uh, erase tool, and zoom in as far as I can go and just painstakingly erase, 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 over just sort of doing an erase outline over everything. <laughs> so if there's an easier way to do it, you tell me. Uh, some people say the magnetic tool within Photoshop for those, and I'm totally going off the rails here. But some people say the magnetic tool is what works best, or the lasso tool, or whatever. That's never worked for me, so sorry. But uh, if you can turn it around fast with zero effort, you know, then awesome, great. Uh, I appreciate you. Lanterncast at gmail.com with those attachments. Again, I'm not expecting anybody to do this. I'm just saying that if somebody out there wants to do it just for the your board or whatever, and you're really good at it, it'd just be nice to be adding steadily adding to our library of PNG files for future use. I'm not saying anything about you have to or you're not a real listener if you don't. So just saying if you want to, if you've got the time, please. <laughs> I wouldn't mind having them in our library for future use. But otherwise, I liked it. It was it it was it was a great issue in the fact that it made it made some of our prior <coughs> questions and concerns invalid, in by what it revealed. So so that's that was cool. Yes, I think yeah, I like this issue better than last issue, even with the same the Saint Walker stuff because. Now, to be fair, realistically, Saint Wa- I mean, most of the time when he when he amps up the blues, I mean the the greens, they usually only go up to like two hundred something percent too, because the rings will explode if it goes up much more than that. 
Well, so it, I mean, it was it was during like Blackest Night and I think War of the Green Lanterns that that they did go up really high. But, but did it go up past like three hundred? I don't think it ever went up past three hundred. I, I don't I don't remember, but I do remember somebody telling Saint Walker to kind of tone it down, or my hand my ring's gonna blow up off my hand. Saint Walker. Well, yeah, I, I think it was during their first. It was during the, the first meeting with Hal during Rage of the Red Lanterns when they said, I think it was because I think at that time I think it was because he was getting I think he was getting too close to the central power battery on Odom, and they said you better not get any closer or else or else you know your ring's gonna explode. Right, but I don't I don't think two hundred's the cap. Oh, I don't. Oh, not, theoretically, not for, I don't think. Yeah, Green I Lanterns. don't. I'm just saying. Usually, we we only see it go up to to around 200. So I'm the point of that being where I was going with it is he is. It's not like saying Saint Walker is essentially amping them up to the consistent level that we saw the the greens get amped up to. And that's so that, what. That's not. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that we've seen the lanterns get amped up to more than that within the presence of a blue lantern, and I'm saying that. That I know, like, and up I guess to I'm the yellow lanterns, <laughs> that two hundred percent is the cap for what Saint Walker can do to the yellow versus what he can do to the green. Well, maybe. If, well, maybe it might be the cap. It might not be the cap for, and it may. And if it's the cap, it might be the cap short term because he's just he's just learning how to tap into this. Just like we don't, we don't know, we don't know one hundred percent how much of this is against his will. Because Sinestro essentially convinces him to go through this whole procedure. Yes, you know we know Sinestro has his old, uh, clearly has his ulterior motives, or always did. But he did. We don't know for a moment that Saint Walker is one hundred percent brainwashed in in this. He probably is to a certain extent. But we, what we do know is that he was tortured. <laughs> that part has been established before. He was tortured, and probably Nax played a role in, in, in his, you know, re-education. So it's, it's, I think it was pretty much, it pretty much was stated before that, you know, the, the Nax was being sh- kind of like shuttled back and forth between her duties being, you know, the partner of Sora and, and the science project, which is basically Sinestro that, uh, I mean, uh, St. Walker that Sinestro had her working on. Right. So I think it's safe to say he was tortured. It's safe to say he was put through put through the ringer. It doesn't mean that he's 100% doing everything against his will because Sinestro seemed to do a pretty good job of convincing him that there was that he that there was a greater there is a there was potentially a greater good to what Sinestro was trying to do, especially in the absence of the Green Lantern Corps. Remember, because Saint Walker kind of reiterates, you know, I think a few times in that issue that. I would, you know, if I could help you, I would, but I, but I can't, and that's when. So, we will see. Uh, I hope he's not 100% brainwashed, because that would make it, make it worse. If this just leads us, and we've discussed this too, if this just leads to the point where Saint Walker pretty much is able to, at some point, amp up any ring that he wants to, any color core, uh, that would be a plus in the, in the big picture of the emotional spectrum. If Saint Walker can do that for all the cores. That would be that would be a big plus. We know we can do it. To, you know, we know we can do it to the greens and the indigos, uh, and we assume then he could do it to the star sapphires too. There's no logical reason to think he couldn't do it to everything on the positive side of the spectrum. But if he can do it for the Sinestro core, then then maybe he could actually do it towards the other, the green and the orange too. That would be a plus. But yes, it is sad seeing a lot of people have pointed that out. It's just sad. It's just sad seeing Saint Walker like that. At least he's not crying. That would have made it worse. There were tears running down his eyes, kind of like Anakin on Mustafar, you know, crying after what he did. That would, or 
that would have been even worse. But we're gonna we'll have a better idea probably in the next few issues what's going on uh, with especially especially depending what happens to Sinestro since it seems to be implied Sinestro was gonna be kind of like taking even if it's a small exit stage left that he may be once this story arc ends he may not be as present in this book at least for like an issue or two so maybe uh saint walker will play a bigger role in the new leadership or the fill you know the holding down the fort leadership but i like the issue as a whole i think it was good i i certainly damn well hope we find out who the pale vicar is it would yeah. be it would be a major disappointment i think if we never we don't find out which guardian that he is or that he's just a generic nameless guardian that you know, broke off from the order a long time ago, and no, and so we will see. <clears throat> but it was a good month for only three issues. It was a good month, for sure. All right, anything else? I don't think so. All right, guys, we're going to take a quick break and hear a couple promos for some of our fellow podcasters, and when we come back, your listener feedback. <laughs> In fact, I think we should record a promo about all the changes to the Fire and Water Podcast Network happening this year. What do you think, Rob? That's a great idea. We can mention the new folks joining the network and all the shows. I can talk about how we'll continue with our Aquaman and Firestorm show, and I want to be sure to plug my movie show, The Film and Water Podcast. What about you, Ryan? Oh, I think we should definitely record a promo. I'll mention how the Secret Origins Podcast is joining the Fire and Water Network, and then I'll introduce my newly relaunched shows, Give Me Those Star Wars and Power of Fishnets, the Black Canary and Zatanna Podcast. Sound good to you, Chris? Absolutely. I'll mention the show I record with my lovely wife, Cindy, Supermates, the husband and wife geek cast. We should probably also mention the Power Records podcast Rob and I do, too. What about you, Siskoid? Well, sure. I can talk about my ensemble show, The Lonely Hearts Romance Comics Podcast, and my new upcoming shows about the DC Comics crossover event, Invasion, and yes, Oh Hot Moo. Shag, you think we should mention Hero Points, the most occasional DC Heroes role-playing podcast? Sure, why not? And I can talk about Who's Who, the definitive podcast of the DC Universe, and mention my new upcoming show, Justice League International, Wahaha Podcast. Now, here's what I'm thinking. When we record, I'm fine being the first person talking. I can explain all the changes to the Wait network. a minute, wait a minute, wait. Why do you get to start the promo? I'm just as much of a part of this as you are. It was my idea to create the Fire and Water podcast back in 2011. I should start off this promo. I kind of think it should be one of the new voices who kick off the promo. It'll shock the listener into attention if it's not Rob or Shag. Cindy and I make up two people in the network. Plus, you know, ladies first, so we should be the first people talking on the promo. Ben voyons donc. You have what? got Stop it. You're like boys with toys. Let's just make this simple. We can tell the folks at home the Fire and Water Podcast Network is growing in 2016. Several new shows are joining the network. We'll have a new dedicated website, a Twitter account, and Facebook page. And folks will be able to subscribe to each individual show or all of them. See, now was that so hard? Fire and Water Podcast Network. Available soon through iTunes, Stitcher Radio, and fireandwaterpodcast.com. Seriously, Shag, you had to get the last word, didn't you? Thank you, Green Lantern. I'm not Green Lantern. I'm Booster Gold. If I were Green Lantern, my costume would be green, now wouldn't it? Hi, I'm the French Meltdown from Tumblr.com. My dad, FKA Jason, and his friend, Roy Charlemagne Cleary, 
have a new podcast called Silver and Gold they want you to listen to. It drops on Tuesday, December 22nd, 2015. My dad is a huge Green Lantern fan, and Roy is a huge Firestorm fan, so they teamed up to record a podcast about Captain Adam and Booster Gold. Inspired by the Fire and Water podcast, Dad and Roy are reviewing each adventure of Booster Gold and Captain Adam one issue at a time. I really want you to listen to this podcast because, honestly, my head will explode if my dad tells me Captain Adam's origin story one more time. The podcast can be found at CaptainAdamBlog.com on December 22nd, 2015. Please listen and drop them a line at CaptainAdamBlog at gmail.com. Save me from my father and the endless torment he puts me through with his constant lectures about Captain Adam. And I guess Mr. Gold is pretty cool, too. www.CaptainAdamBlog.com December 22nd, 2015. The Silver and Gold Podcast. Gee. Thanks, Captain Adam. Next time, be a hero by remembering you're not. Justice League International, Blah Ha Ha Podcast. A new monthly show chronicling the adventures of the JLI era by Keith Giffen and J.M. DeMatteis. We'll be going issue by issue in release order, tackling the core Justice League title, Justice League Europe, and the quarterly book. Along the way, we'll take time out for special episodes covering various spin-offs, cartoon appearances, the infamous TV pilot, and much more. So join me in an ever-changing roster of guest hosts as we celebrate your favorite JLI members, such as... Martian Manhunter Batman Doctor Fate Black Canary Fire Ice Maxwell Lord Oberon Captain Marvel Rocket Red Captain Adam Mr. Miracle Guy Gardner Booster Gold Blue Beetle Nort! And many, many more. Justice League International, Blah Ha Podcast, coming March 2016 as part of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. Want to make something of it? <laughs> Do the jingle, then. Euro crashes and Euro litter. Head on the dance floor and shake your Twitter. Emails. All right, guys, and as that uh, theme uh, theme music from uh, the old late lamented Craig Ferguson, uh, the late late show, uh, signifies we got some listener feedback this time around. We've got the second half of Laurel's email from pr- the prior uh, uh, episode, and we got a, another email from Flodo. But that is about it. So only two bits of feedback tonight. Mark, do you want to go ahead and take? Uh, Laurel's feedback there? Yes, I will finish off the second part of Laurel's uh, feedback on Green Lantern 47 and 48. So, Green Lantern 48. While I appreciated the scene in the hospital waiting room, the transition from the last issue on the boardwalk to the hospital in the beginning of this issue seemed abrupt. How Hal decided between keeping a secret identity and wanting to rush Howard to a hospital would have been interesting to see. Would his brother understand if Hal treated Howard the same way as everyone else at the boardwalk attack site, or would Jim expect Hal to help his family first? I was surprised Hal didn't lose control of the gauntlet at any time in this issue. It's reacted to his subconscious desires before. I thought perhaps Hal would be distracted enough with extreme worry for Howard or frustration and anger at the Midorian soldiers for the gauntlet to act out. In fact, during the confrontation with the soldiers, Hal's power is flashing out of his eyes, a sign he's not in full control. 
So where is the further reaction from the gauntlet? I've also been wondering if the gauntlet has more powers than we've seen. It was a prototype and could have features not included on an actual Green Lantern ring. Do you remember if there were hints during the War of the Green Lanterns? Parallax looked great. Is it just me or does he not have the... Or does he not only have the white in his hair, but a receding hairline? I was trying to figure out how old this version of Parallax is compared to Arhal. Is he actually chronologically older? I'm excited to find out if this version of Parallax is going to be a straight-up villain, or if it's possible he can be a dark anti-hero instead. Is the universe big enough for two versions of Hal Jordan? I think we've we've already seen this answer, or know this answer for in general, just because it, we always know this answer. Apparently Parallax doesn't think so, but I'd be interested it, but it'd be interesting to see the, see them trying to work side by side. Thanks for making a fun podcast I can enjoy. Laurel. The first part, yes, I would expect. Because um, Jim is understanding, but not... I mean, he's always been a, understanding at a level where there's always a moment of clarity in there. Like, when when his son is unconscious after a bombing attack... I don't think Jim would have a moment of clarity there. He'd be like, no, no, no. You know, because if I had a brother and my brother had superhuman powers and my son was in danger, I don't give a fuck about your secret identity. You get my son to a hospital faster than a, an ambulance can, so do it. You know what I mean? Right. So I, I don't I, – I, th- I think if you expect Jim to keep up the facade of Hal's uh, secret identity, I don't – you know, this it's not gonna it's not gonna work when you know my whole world's been turned upside down. So there's that. It was kind of abrupt, I guess. The trend. I mean, I I it may I think it worked though. I think because it, it's something you don't expect to see. I mean, you would probably expect to see them like literally picking up where they left off or how rushing you know Howard to the hospital. So in a way, it's kind of it was kind of a refreshing to see a different take on it. Yeah, and like we pointed out, it just kind of shows you how pe- how people react to tragedy and things. That here's somebody sitting there in a superhero costume with this big th- this big super powered N- Nintendo glove on their on their hand, and everybody's pretty much ignoring Hal, other than the woman sitting next to him, and she's just treating him treating him like anybody else. <laughs> yeah. Uh. So. As as far as Hal losing control of the gauntlet, I think it does happen in this issue. Yeah, I think we... it's after everybody blows up and yep. he all those tentacles pull everything down into the sand. Because there's no tactical advantage to him doing that. Correct. Like I and like think we I think we talked about that when we did, went through the issue. That I agree. I think that uh, that probably was a moment there when Hal when Hal was losing control, which probably is, and the gauntlet maybe was in control of him more than he the gauntlet, which probably also bookends nicely with the Emerald Ti- Twilight homage at the end. So, which might be a, which might be something again. When, when we see Hal and Parallax interact, that might be something Parallax picks up on about the gauntlet. That maybe maybe that'll be something that Parallax shares with with Hal by knowledge, or based on being able to his powers, being able to understand that the what the gauntlet, you know that the gauntlet maybe is, has a has a controlling effect over Hal. It's going to take almost like almost parasitic in itself over time. So maybe that's something that you know that. And, and the helpful helpful hands both can give to each other about what what has happened or might happen. That that might be that might be the pearls of a pearl of wisdom. Parallax can help out with. But I do think that yes, I think it definitely was a uh, he definitely lost control of it. As far as the powers of the gauntlet, the gauntlet's pretty much out there. We don't really know 
everything about it clearly. I think Hal alluded to the fact that what it was as powerful as what six rings. Is that what he said? Uh, was I that don't... the number that he's used? He used a number. I think I thought it was six. That it was like I, more powerful than six power rings or something. I I don't remember the number. I do know that it, when it was introduced, it was more like it was. It, not only is it the, an early prototype of the ring, it's an early use of harnessing the energy itself, which is why you can lose control of it. In my mind, I sort of compare it to Guy Gardner's ring, because speaking of Ethan Van Skyver, remember during Rebirth, we got the explanation that, you know, Kilowog's use of the ring is the only one that makes a sound. You know, Kyle, you know, kind of, you know, uh, is never satisfied with his constructs. John likes to build his from the outside in. And Guy's is constantly sparking just like ready for action you remember that yes yeah okay that's what i think of that's that's how i think of hal's gauntlet uh with the added thing of you can lose control of it that the use of the gauntlet is like guy's ring where he's just it's it's constantly just sparked and ready to go especially since it's raw it's exactly so, so much it's so much more raw but as far as you know, but as far as the actual power, you know, we we don't know all that much about about the gauntlet. We never really got to see it in action for particularly long. Even when we saw, even in building up to the War of the Green Lanterns, when we saw Crona with the gauntlet on himself, we never got to see much of what it can do. And in fact, up until Hal got it as a renegade, we never technically. It made sense. We always believed it was more powerful than just a regular Green Lantern ring. It would, certainly by looks alone, you would think it would be. You know. Because mm-hmm. of the, because of how oversized it is, but when, but it was really never confirmed until Hal just kind of threw out a number. And I still think I still think I could be wrong, but I think it was like he said it was at least as powerful as like six power rings. But either way, he it we don't know the full capabilities of it, and probably in all honesty, we're going to see a little bit more of what it's capable of because if he and Parallax are getting into a big knockdown drag out fight, then he's pretty much going to need to be tap into his, whatever that ring has. You know, has to offer. I mean, whatever that glove has to offer, because of the fact that a regular Green Lantern is not going to be able to stand up to, ha- to Hal Parallax on a power level. That's not going to work. Uh, as far as far as the age difference between our Hal and the original Parallax or whatever, it's a tough. Thing. I, in the New Fifty Two, and the New Fifty Two started supposedly these heroes had already been around for five years. So how this Hal has been around? How long has it been since the New Fifty Two? Five years. About. Okay. Well, a little, so, over, a little over, a little over four because we just hit we we just about we just hit issue forty eight. So how this Hal has been around for about give or take nine years. By the time Hal becomes Parallax, I don't know. He's sort of middle aged, right? Yeah, but I think they. I think when they. I think if you go back and look at the timeline they gave you in Zero Hour itself, because they actually gave you a rev- a revised timeline of what happened in the DC Universe, I still think that Hal had only been Green Lantern for like 10 years before uh, Zero Hour. So this this version of Hal might be slightly older, chronologically speaking. Which version? Our version or Parallax? Parallax. Para, see, para, here's the thing. This is, and I, I wrote, I, I answered Laurel's question on this, and I try, and I, and I, and I think it's still valid, but I thought about it more after the fact. It's, tr- it's really tricky because, first of all, we don't entirely know. We know this version of Parallax, even though they tell you in the, the, the two shots in the mini, 
of tying into convergence that this that power that zero hour hack had occurred even though they they kind of you know they changed or butchered the way it actually went down so that zero so that hal jordan that parallax was still younger than the one that died in final night so that would have been so he could he could be he could still be older even though you know this hal jordan our hal jordan went through all those events even and, and went did more before he died but technically speaking, his body kind of de-aged a little too. Besides just losing, I think besides just losing the gray streaks in his hair, I think he de-aged slightly. Maybe it was it was open for interpretation when he when he was in the casket when he was when his spirit was returned to his body. So it's possible that he. I don't. It, it's tricky. It's it's really it's really a fine line. I don't think there's a big age difference between the two of them. In at the end of the day. Uh, the real difference is the temples, and we, and we know the temples were explained away because of the parallax influence. I think the receding hairline it just has to do with, with the way Billy Tan drew him, and because we know Hal kind of had more of a kind of like the Chris Pine cut, if you will. That's how Parallax kind of wore his hair for most of the time. In Zero Hour, when Dan, when Dan Jurgens was drawing him, he drew him more like you know with the, with the hair parted on the side and things like that. But most of the time, when when Parallax was drawn, he kind of didn't have the part in his hair. He went went straight back. That's the way he was drawn. You know, that's the way Daryl pretty much always drew him as, as Parallax. So I think it's I think it's just a choice. I think it was just a, a creative choice on Bill, in the way Billy Tan, you know, he, the way he drew him. And to me, and to me, Parallax is always has always been kind of a, an anti-hero or a, or a, yeah, that's pretty much the best way to describe it. He, he's kind of like he is kind of like a Magneto. Kind of like character. He's always he his methods have have often been shitty in what he was trying to accomplish. But there are, but some of the things he was trying to accomplish, you can't necessarily say he they weren't good things. He was just the way he was going about them, and the and he certainly in his own mind he had the greater good. He wanted to accomplish the greater good. It's just the way he was going about it was shaky sometimes. Not all the time, but it was shaky at best. Sometimes, you know, but he certainly was a subscriber to you can't break an omelet, you can't make an omelet without breaking a few eggs philosophy. So, I don't, I, I am, I suspect we're not going to get him portrayed as an out and out bad guy, especially since he's, if they're supposed to both kind of take something from each other, and you, since I'm working under the assumption that it's not going to be a, a, fake death resolution to Parallax, that it may be a resolution, but it may not be, but, they're not gonna. I'm. I could be naive on this, but I don't think they're gonna try to trick us into thinking that Parallax is really dead. And some of that might tie into what happens, obviously, in the last two issues with Telos, because maybe they're gonna go somewhere together, or maybe that series is gonna end, and we'll know technically or have an idea of what happened to Parallax. So I think he'll be. I think we're gonna see Parallax being Parallax as much as he can be, which is that he's going to, he, you know, his goal is to protect Coast City. His his goal is to be pr basically protector and guardian of a universe that needs him. And he's, for whatever, he's going to blame Hal. I'm not entirely sure 100% why exclusively, but he seems to be going to be focusing his, his frustration at this current state of our universe on Hal's doorstep. So, and Hal's going to have to, and Hal will be fighting him more because of, if for no other reason, because he knows what is inside of Parallax and what Parallax is capable of doing in the name of setting things right. So I think that's what the conflict is going to be. I think we're, we're going to see pros and cons on both sides, I think. 
So that's what I anticipate. Mostly on Hal's side because he's our he's our protagonist. But I don't think Parallax Hal is going to be portrayed in a crappy way, or I certainly hope that he's not. That's all I got. You got anything else? No, they were good observations as always by Laurel. It's just sorry we had to split your email up for two episodes, but at least they were recorded relatively close to each other. <laughs> okay, uh, we got. Uh, lastly, we got an email from Floto, uh, just in regards to our episode tribute to Sean Engel. He says, "Guys, I just wanted to drop you a line to add my sympathies and condolences to the family, friends, and to the podcasting community mourning the loss of Sean Engel." Your memorial episode was a very fitting tribute to Sean, who, like myself, discovered his passion for Green Lantern during the Kyle Rayner era. Hero Quest was the perfect choice for a book review in his memory. I had the pleasure of guesting with Sean on your 200th episode, and I found him to be very welcoming and encouraging on what was my first ever podcast appearance. Like you, I am glad that he was able to complete his Just One of the Guys project before he passed. As well as being very entertaining, the show is a unique historical archive that I think will be downloaded and listened to by Green Lantern devotees for many years to come. I found the obituary posted by his family to be very moving, and I was choked up when when I heard you read it. Sean's light will continue to shine brightly in the hearts and minds of the many loved ones and fans he has left behind. Best wishes, Floda. Very nicely put. Yes, sir. Not much more we can add to that. So, uh, yeah, everybody seems to be, you know, both on Twitter and Facebook and in uh, and, and some of the emails, obviously, we've read over the past few episodes since we released the tribute episode. It seems to be pouring out their love and affection for Sean and his love and affection for the Green Lantern universe. So thanks for that. And we're glad we could do something anyway. And for sure, it's nice that it was appreciated, but it, it's but it's the very least we could do, and and we're glad it was a topic that everybody could have fun with, not just the you know not, not just the listeners, and obviously the fact that it was appropriate, you know, for Sean makes made it even better. But even stuff that just the fact that you know Chad and I could enjoy the topic too, got kind of that kind of helped based on you know the subject, the the motiva- motivating factor for why you know why we were doing it, it helped that it was you know it was fun it was fun material it was it was it was a good storyline and like Chad had mentioned it was a storyline that it was fate I guess as it turns out you know we had we had entertained the idea of doing that episode a few doing those issues in an episode a few times before but it was things just came together at the right time so we're kind of glad it worked out that way. For sure. Uh, if you want to hear episode 200, uh, that was our four-hour episode. <laughs> I uh, remember that episode. But but the Sean, Floto, Mark, and I segment is at the very beginning of that episode. So you're welcome to go find that and listen to that. Uh, that segment is the first segment of that episode, other than, of course, the actual intro. Um, and then uh, Sean and I also appeared on uh, Ryan uh, Daly's Secret Origins podcast, I believe, episode seven i want to say which is where we cover the origin of guy gardner uh so there's more uh, more material out there of of sean teaming up with the lantern cast in various forms so those are out there for your listening pleasure so mark uh, how can people get a hold of us the easiest way is via email lanterncast at gmail.com lanterncast at gmail.com visit our website lanterncast.com download our latest episodes dark star reviews ring encyclopedia episodes which i'm way behind on uh blogs latest news you can find a lot of stuff there so use it as a tool feel free and we appreciate it if you do you can follow us on twitter instagram and facebook 
uh, hashtag GLCast to locate us on all of those. We are on iTunes and Stitcher. So if you, in whichever one or both of you listen to us on those platforms, please, please leave us positive reviews. They are always appreciated. And we will read them on the show. <laughs> Even if it t- takes us a while, we will read them apparently. <laughs> uh, last but not least, if you'd like to leave us a voicemail, call us at 708-LANTERN. 708-LANTERN and let us know what you think. All right, guys. Next episode, uh, we've got a pre-birth coming down the line and a GLGA coming down the line. So one of those two will be out next, followed shortly by the other. Heads up, I will be out of town uh, from the the week following Valentine's Day. So that's like the 15th through the 20th or 21st. Uh, so if there's an issue in posting during that week, uh, just know that's that's what the deal is there. Um, but yeah, we should be covered between the, the pre-birth episode and and the uh, and the, uh, the the Green Lantern Green Arrow episode. Uh, and then Mark and I, you know, we we still have some other stuff to get out, like a, a quarterly, quarterly, and all of that. So we've got stuff. Uh, there shouldn't be an interruption in terms of posting something weekly, but there might be an interruption in sort of expecting it at the beginning of the week and maybe getting it up towards the end of the week. So. And if that happens, the way to look at it is, hey, la- last week you got two episodes, so it balances out. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> All right, guys. We will talk to you next time. Good night, everybody. Good night.